Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome back to the Toe Meets Leather Podcast. I'm Logan. Here with me today are some of my favorite friends, Andrew up in Chapel Hill. How's it going today, Andrew? I'm doing pretty good. You know, it's, it's been really warm this week. What are five things you're looking forward to this uh, upcoming football season? Um, well, it's just football in general I'm a big fan of. Uh, I'm really interested to see the coaching transition at Georgia Tech. Um, man, you put me on the spot. <laughs> well, we'll come back to it, but uh, meanwhile, we got Artem out in Texas. Artem, you you got any five things you're looking forward to this football season? I'm looking for the rule changes by the end of the season. Every season, something new comes out that's weird or some kickoff rule. I'm hoping for a no-helmet rule. <laughs> Just like no helmets at all. Maybe people will stop being freaking idiots and using their head to tackle people. If you don't have a helmet, it's going to be real scary if your head hits somebody's pads. Are you waiting for them to finally get rid of the kickoff too? I'm all down for the kickoff. As much violence as possible. Just don't use your freaking head. People in rugby don't get injured and have as many concussions as people in football do because they don't have helmets. Until you get a concussion, then you have to wear a concussion helmet. All right. Well, the reason I bring up five things we're looking forward to is because this week we're going to cover five different, well, I guess four different conferences and then one group of teams. Uh, We're saving the American Conference for a whole separate cast, but this week we're covering the Mountain West, Conference USA, the Sun Belt, MAC, and the Independents. So since there's a lot of teams in all these conferences, we're going to just start off with going through each, covering a team that we're interested in out of each of them, and then go into who we think is going to end up taking the conference uh, title. So I'm going to start off with you, Andrew, coming out of the Mountain West. Which team did you want to talk about? So the team that I'm really interested in is the New Mexico Lobos. And it's one of those teams where I kind of wonder how Bob Davies still has a job. (laughs) They've really, really struggled the past couple of years. They've gone back-to-back three and nine seasons. As well as Davy was suspended and under investigation at multiple points this past year. So why, as the AD, you don't decide to just cut bait and move on is an interesting thought in my mind. As well as New Mexico's home attendance last year in 2018 was 27% lower than the average of the previous three seasons. So not only is he losing, but no one's coming to games. And the quickest way to get rid of a coach is for players just or for guys, you know, fans to stop coming to games, stop spending money. And the other reason I was always in New Mexico is he always wanted to run some level of a a hybrid spread option type of offense. His previous offensive coordinator was a guy named Bob DeBess, who was a great OC and is currently the OC at Georgia Southern and has done a great job re- revitalizing that team. So you wonder if Davey firing him in 2017 was a poor decision. They brought in another guy last year. He was terrible, so they fired him too. And now they brought in Joe Daly, who's got some option experience from playing at Nebraska and spending time with Turner Gill. He talked about being adaptable. Just going to see what he's going to try to do offensively. Uh, They've again been a very strong run-first offense. It's going to be interesting to see how they adjust to that. 
you know, the the quarterbacks, they've got a returner in Sharon Jones, who's a senior, but obviously didn't play that well. They've got another guy in Tavika Tuatoy, who's probably going to end up being the starter. Solid running backs. Uh, you know, kind of middle-of-the-road offense last year, and, and the defense just wasn't great, which is crazy because for a long time, Bronco Mendenhall was a D.C. in New Mexico, one of his first big jobs, and they were great defense. Brian Erlacher played there. And so, Davey himself, defensive guy. And it's just to see how bad they've been defensively. And now, to be fair, unfortunately, I don't think he's going to turn around enough to keep his job. Uh, New Mexico is kind of a tough place to coach. There's not a lot of in-state talent. You're somewhat close to California, but not close enough like the Arizona schools. So, you kind of got to straddle that Texas California recruiting, and he just really hasn't done a great job. But again, I, I've always paid attention to New Mexico because as someone who is a slut for option football, they were always fun to watch. So I'm interested to see if maybe he can pull a miracle out of his hat and turn it around, but I just, I don't I don't see it, fortunately. Oh, man. Well, you had me all excited there, but I, at the same time, I knew we were talking about New Mexico, so I, I kind of expected that to be the fact of the matter. Uh, next up, next up, Artem, who you got? I picked Colorado State for this one um, for obvious reasons. My master's being done over there. Um, interesting school to follow. Also interesting uh, with Mike Bobo there for quite a few years now. They have an interesting situation developing. They went three and nine last year after they had built a new stadium. Um, like Andrew said, it kind of sucks. People don't want to go to the games if, if you're going 3-9 and nine in your new stadium and losing home games. So uh, it's a diff- it's an interesting situation because they're returning a lot of talent from last year on defense. So um, a lot of the two deep guys are coming back. Um, defense hopefully is going to stop the pass this year um, with some of those guys having had some reps and had a full offseason uh, in another co- in a college program, so hopefully the defense will get better. Kind of staying away from talking about that more than just the experience they've gained, um, just because Mike Bobo is an offensive coordinator. He's a quarterbacks coach, so one of the most interesting kind of developing situations happening there is the quarterback transfer they brought in with Patrick O'Brien uh, last year. They had uh, Carter Samuels, uh, who I believe transferred from uh, Vanderbilt. And uh, this guy named Colin Hill, um, they were trying to get Colin Hill to be the guy to go. He didn't have the extra experience. Carter Samuels was a little bit of an older guy, brought some of that uh, ex- experience to the team and ended up playing a lot of reps. But towards the end of the season, they were starting Colin Hill because they, he was the guy of the future, whereas Carter Samuels couldn't throw. Uh, and as a quarterback or as a head coach, that's a quarterback's coach. <laughs> that's not a situation you want to be in because you're trying to build a program in a new stadium. So um, it's an interesting situation because Patrick O'Brien transferred from Nebraska and, uh, like most of this fun off season, has uh, eligibility to play this year and is battling for the starting role. Um, he was a, a top ten pro style quarterback coming out in 2018. 2017-2018, and he's battling for the starting role against uh, Colin Hill with Carter Samuels out of the way now. So um, it'll be interesting to see who uh, Mike Bobo chooses as kind of his next progression guy, um, guy of the future for the next year or two, and 
I think they can build on a three and nine record. Uh, I mean, it is the Mountain West. Uh, you know, you're not playing uh, the Big Twelve where um, everybody kind of knows their place, and if they're beating Texas, the refs will help you. Um, you can actually kind of manage your own luck, and with a, a running back core that's experienced, an offensive line that's relatively experienced, and a defense that literally couldn't have played worse last season. You know, quarterback play willing, they'll they'll get to a bowl game this year. Well, and I, I think that's something to be hopeful and optimistic about. I, I certainly could see them getting there, uh, given the rest of the competition in the Mountain West. But time will tell. Uh, the team I decided to pick is a team that we always like talking about. Um, Hawaii is one of those interesting teams as far as recruiting goes because of the location um, and because of how uh, the schedule lines up for them. That it's just not a it's just not an easy team to uh, recruit for, which is a whole other and to build a mo- money for, but it, which is a whole other conversation that maybe we'll have in a future podcast. But uh, this year coming up, Nick Rolovich is keeping his defensive coordinator for the first time uh, in I think uh, three or four years, first time since he's been in Hawaii actually. Wow, uh, so. That's kind of huge news. With that said, uh, they the biggest weakness for this team last year was defense. Uh, obviously, they've got a solid quarterback in Cole McDonald, and he led them to a really hot start last year, going 5-1. and one. And then after that, they kind of dipped off. Uh, that said, it's they got a pretty good rush going when they were able to get to the quarterback. They had pretty good results getting... Uh, I think 33rd in the nation, according to Bill Connolly, at uh, getting at Havoc, which is surprising for a team in the Mountain West. But uh, at as time went on, the secondary and the gaps in the secondary led to many explosive plays uh, by the opposing team, which makes it very difficult. I think uh, this year with Cole McDonald coming back, there's optimism there. Um, but he loses a lot of weapons. Granted, they're kind of refueling with junior college talent. So I think he's got a good shot at leading the team better this year, which is ideal. Um, if you really look at their schedule, you've got Arizona, Oregon State, and Washington on the docket. And I think looking at that, you got to imagine you only win one of those games to start off the year. Then you've got Central Arkansas at Nevada and at Boise State. Um Air Force at New Mexico, Fresno State, San Jose State, UNLV, San Diego State, and Army. Which, by the way, I want to call a shout-out to Army, which is probably the farthest-traveled game right before uh, going to uh, going to Baltimore to play Navy. They travel all the way to Hawaii. That's crazy. Um, but if you're looking at that schedule... Uh, not a huge amount to be optimistic about. I think at best you've got some games that you could say are 50-50. Uh, I could see them making a bowl game going like 7-6, uh, seven, seven and six, something in that range, but it's it's hard to say. Right now I do think Hawaii uh, could, surprise, could cut off to a far, fast start, though, beating everybody but Washington, and who knows, maybe they end up with nine wins on the year. That would be a pleasant surprise, I think. Time will tell. Uh, so, guys, with all that in mind, uh, 
Is anybody, anyone among us not picking Boise State to win the Mountain West? I think their only real, their big competition is going to be Fresno State. So you don't have any, but, you don't have anything on San Diego State, though? You know, they're a team where it's interesting. They, they keep seeming to just be able to replace amazing running back after amazing running back after amazing running back. They actually have Juwan Washington coming back this year who ran for just under 1,000 yards and 10 touchdowns. They're really fun to kind of talk about because, you know, Rocky Long's been there for a while. He's done a really good job at San Diego State to rebuild that program. But, I mean, you can't talk enough about what Jeff Tedford did at Fresno State. He took a team that was pretty, pretty horrible – and he's gone 22-6. and six. He went 12-2. and two. He's got to replace his quarterback. He lost a ton of talent on offense. But, I mean, Tefford's an offensive guy. You know, he's known as a quarterback guru. So it'll be really kind of fascinating to see what they can do, as well as they had the number three nationally ranked scoring defense last year, and they only lost four starters. So, to me, Fresno just has so much more coming back than San Diego, and I just think sets themselves up with a better chance. They do have to go to San Diego State on November 16th, so that'll be a really exciting game. And they don't get Boise as a crossover. Okay. So, yeah, you're saying they could definitely end up in at least the championship game playing Boise. So I agree. Because I, Boise also has to play San Jose State. Uh, San Jose State's the bad one. <laughs> Oh, crap, yeah. Never mind. Ignore that. Scratch that. Edited that out. Plus, Boise State's trying to find a new quarterback with, with Rippon leaving. Now they've got their entire offensive line back and a lot of their defense. So that'll be a thing. It may be one of those fun Boise State teams where the defense leads them for a couple of weeks before the offense catches up. That game one against Florida State in Jacksonville will be really exciting. And I really like that Boise State continues to have the attitude of, you know, we'll play anybody anywhere. Just tell us when and we'll show up. And you, you got to respect that. I think that's one hundred percent. It's it's how old school Southern Miss kind of built their legacy. But yeah, I mean, with all that in mind, I, I do think that uh, that's the kind of attitude that got them to where they are right now as one of the dark horse teams in the in not only uh, in all of college football, really. You know, for the play, not just for the playoffs, but as a talking point for anybody. But well, no, yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're the standard barrier bear, bearer for the G5. You know, they've kind of become that G5 program that everyone looks to. Yeah, I mean, uh, up until UCF a couple of years ago. But, yeah, you know what we're talking about. Um, but, Artem, real quick. I mean, then you get into the fun discussion of G5 versus P6. Uh, we're saving it. We're saving it for another cast, Andrew. All right, uh, <laughs> Artem, real quick. You got any expectations other than Boise walking out of out of the uh, Mountain West? I see Colorado State giving them some trouble, but Boise State's just too consistent year to year. Uh, yeah, they'll probably win it. Okay, fair enough. Uh, moving on, we're going on with Conference USA. So. Andrew and I were actually having a discussion right before the uh, start of the season, of this uh, session, rather, that uh, who is the bottom of the barrel of the P5? Is it the Conference USA or the Sun Belt? 
Um, it's kind of hard to decipher because they both seem to be trying to snipe teams from each other. But this year, uh, Conference USA has got some strong returning teams. Uh, North Texas, Marshall, and uh, some other interesting matchups from teams that are still recovering. But Arnhem, I'm going to start with you. What team do you want to talk about in the Conference USA? I picked the Roadrunners because um, I talked about them quite a bit last year when we were doing these kind of pre-conference cast and they kind of excited me and I'm sure they excited a lot of their fans, but uh, they uh, shit the proverbial bed this season with a three and nine record. So um, Frank Wilson might be on the hot seat after this season if, if it all goes the same way. The reason I say that is there's a lot of, it's all a perception uh, game, right? So for some of these schools, um, you take Georgia, for example, you got Georgia Tech, you got Georgia Southern, you got uh, Georgia State, you got the uh, nasty Ugo over there, um, you know, a bunch of schools in a smaller state. Um, it's a little bit harder to realize. So from a guy from Texas, um, you know, there's, I would say, four, three, four central hubs for football um, in Texas. Uh, one of those is Dallas, one of those is Houston, uh, one of those is Austin, and you got San Antonio. So being the only college in San Antonio and being quite a bit of ways from a lot of other schools, um, I feel like UTSA and a lot of people feel like they've, they've realized that, hey, we have this hotbed of football guys and they don't really want to leave anywhere. They're right here. We can go recruit them 20 minutes away. Let's build a bunch of facilities. Let's build a bunch of big stuff. Um, there's not even a local, you know, uh, pro football team here, this will be our uh, pro football team and the whole city will rally around them. The only thing they have right now is the Spurs. So they invested a ton of money over the last two years. And Frank Wilson was at the head of that uh, as a head coach. And the understanding was, you know, we're going to give you a bunch of money. You're going to recruit all these guys that are from San Antonio. They're already good at football and we're going to beat up on all our opponents. Um, that didn't happen. They went three and nine last year. It was a complete crapshoot. Uh, UNT came out of nowhere, started beating up on everybody. Uh, UTSA had a lot of guys injured, so this year is going to be a little bit interesting for them. They got a you know sophomore um, starting a quarterback uh, ahead of a couple seniors because of you know Frank Wilson feels the heat on his seat, and he's in a situation where he's got to win this season. He's got to make a bowl game, and he's going to show progress for a UTSA school that hasn't been as good. But now we've invested money, and there are expectations involved. Um, it's going to be a pretty interesting season because of that. Uh, problem is, it's kind of a tough start for them. They play against Incarnate Word. That's probably you know a toss-up game. They'll probably beat them. But after that game, they're going into Baylor. Baylor has something to prove. They won a bowl game. Um, and have been pretty much waiting for that, for a, somebody to beat up on all season. So if Baylor loses their first game, they're going to beat up on UTSA in game two. Got Army coming off of what a good season and a half, two seasons right after that, and then UNT with Fine, who's a you know five ten pissed off quarterback because nobody else drafted him, and he's just beating up on everybody in that conference. Um, other than that, you got A and M later in the in the schedule, and you got UAB who's just stacked with talent because the program got canceled and they got all these guys who transferred in. No way they're going to play right away. So it's it's going to be kind of a rough going for them um i mean just off the bat they're gonna lose at least five games that are gonna be really really hard for them to win um they're gonna have to come together for those and 
they have to win out against some of the other teams. I mean, um, the Old Dominion I beat. Uh, who did Old Dominion beat last year? Was it Mississippi State? Virginia Tech. Oh, Virginia Tech. So they're playing Old Dominion. They got to face that crap um, of the these guys that now think they're the bosses walking around after beating West Virginia Tech. You got um, FAU with uh, with Kiffin over there. I mean, these the rest of the games on their schedule. So it so it sounds like they're going to have a really. Easy. A really hard time kind of getting back into it. I do want mm-hmm. I do want to know more somewhere down the line about we should probably have a cast talking about the different recruiting dynamics of Texas, but that's something that's very fascinating to me that was never brought up before. But uh, yeah, it sounds like UTSA is going to really need to have a turnaround if uh, their coach is going to be staying there long term. Well, and one more really noteworthy thing is. Um, it's another school I'm going to talk about later, Texas State. Uh, Texas State and UTSA have this uh, uh, I-35 rivalry that they've developed over the, the last couple of years. Um, and it's actually very interesting to watch because every season they have these essentially shit-talking towels that they hang or bed sheets. So students uh, write a bunch of like, really creative disses about the other school. And when you know the football buzz drives in for the game, they get to see all that junk and them talking shit to each other. But uh, this is the first year they're not playing each other, which I thought was interesting. Um, I'm going to do some more research on why that's the case, uh, and I'll get back to you in a later podcast. But yeah, Fascinating. All right, Andrew, uh, I believe you're covering North Texas. Is that right? I am. Um, but I, do, I did want to raise something. So looking at Bill Connolly's – God bless him. God rest his soul. Um, his <laughs> – Projected conference averages. He actually rates Conference USA as the worst. Um, Even though below, it's... So his rankings go SEC, Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, ACC, AAC, Mountain West, Sunbelt, MAC, Conference USA. Wow. Okay. I, that, must per, be, that must be because of App State because that's what uh, – Sorry. Per Bill Connolly, they're the worst conference in America. Woo! They're the one. Yeah. Oh. I think Artem actually kind of side mentioned one of the best, biggest reasons why North Texas is going to be pretty good. And in my mind is the favorite to win the CUSA. And that's Mason Fine, who though he may be 5'10 or 5'11, he is straight up a grown ass man. He threw for 3,700 yards last year, 27 touchdowns, and five interceptions. Now, the one big thing is they're having to bring in a new offensive coordinator. But Seth Luttrell went to Eastern Washington, who's kind of been a hotbed of offensive coordinators in numbers, and brought in Bodie Reader. So you kind of don't really miss much. The other interesting question was Luttrell interviewed for and was linked to a bunch of job other jobs apparently Kansas State's first choice and turned that job down because there's a disagreement you know his name the Texas Tech hat Colorado hat in the North Carolina hat so he's definitely a guy who we know is somewhat in demand and is going to have a chance to maybe step into the next level of football, uh, you know, they bring a good bit back. They've got some wide receivers they've got to replace. The defense only brings back four or five starters, so there's going to be some questions there. But 
the schedule sets up well. Should be able to beat Abilene Christian. And I think they've got a shot to beat SMU and Cal. You know, their tough game is going to be September 28th. They host Houston. But the rest of the conference games at Southern Miss will be a bit of a fight. But they don't really play any of the other heavy hitters. And if they do, they play them at home. They play UAB at home. You know, they kind of miss FAU. They kind of miss the Florida schools. So I think they've got a chance to be pretty good. The, the really big question is going to be how they adjust to the new offensive coordinator and are they able to kind of fill the holes they've had defensively. So I think many would consider them to be the front runner given all that information. Yeah. yeah. I think I think they're the favorite to win CUSA this year. And, and they may be, if, if they can have some early success with SMU and Cal, I think they've got a legitimate shot at being the G5 playoff contender. And just for clarity to our listeners, when he says CUSA, he means Conference USA. It's just a sh- yes. short hearing. No, no, no. It's fine. Uh, so I guess I'll try and keep it a little short. The only reason I'm talking about UAB is because they're, they are three reasons. One, they're in Alabama. Two, they have a really cool mascot. i got to figure out where in Alabama all these mascots are because I have never seen a tiger or an elephant or a dragon. I don't know where this stuff is. Have you is. seen a jaguar? What's define a jaguar? I mean, South Alabama's the jaguars. I've seen a wildcat, but I jaguars have are weird. A, have you seen a cogent? Yes. Have you seen a gamecock? Yes. Um, shit. What's North Alabama? <laughs> I don't know, man. So I'm seeing like half of the mascots then. All right, fair enough. Uh, but anyway, point point being, uh, and then the final reason is because UAB came off of uh, not existing about two years ago. So since then, they've kind of had a wild ride of... Have you seen a lion? They're the lions. No, I have not seen a lion. Ha! Um, gotcha. <laughs> Thanks for that, Andrew. Uh, that cutting, that cutting information. Um, point being, they've been up and down, all around, all over the place. Have the Blazers been? Uh, last year they went eleven and three, which I think shocked pretty much everybody who had any familiar with UAB, considering they had just they had not existed literally the couple of years before that. So it. It's kind of an impressive feat. This year, I'm just going to keep it simple and say don't be overly optimistic. Uh, I think a lot of their talent has kind of gone. Uh, they are returning a bunch of they're, – they're returning their main quarterback and they are returning a lot of JUCO talent. But uh, I wouldn't expect a lot, especially given a tough road slate, uh, namely a road game against North Texas and then – a tough one back-to-back of a road game at Tennessee and at Southern Miss. With that in mind, I do still think they can make a bowl game, but uh, temper your expectations, Birmingham. It's just uh, one of those situations where you're not going to get 11 win seasons back-to-back. Probably expect more of something along the lines of a 7 or 8 win season. So, Have you seen a Charger? What the fuck's a Charger? I don't know. It's Alabama at Huntsville. No, I haven't seen a Charger. Aha! 
So I've seen three of eight. Uh, Have you seen a Trojan? I thought we were... I don't mean a contraceptive. I thought we already asked if you had seen a Trojan. Or... Oh, crap. I, f- I forgot. <laughs> uh, uh, but anyway. Uh, but I'm drunk again. You, you're always drunk. That's how I live my life. Don't judge me. Um, <laughs> so I think Andrew and I are on the same page with North Texas being the favorite. Artem, do you have any other uh, thoughts to add in on this one? No, I agree. I think the only thing is last season, Fine got a shoulder injury for his throwing arm, I believe, uh, and he was out last couple games. So don't put all your money on North Texas listeners because uh, if Fine gets hurt, they're going to lose a bunch of games again. Wow. Okay. So you're basically just saying that because you're from Texas. Am I? Am I wrong? No, I'm just saying he got hurt last season. They lost a bunch of games after he got hurt. He's the one-man team. He's the Johnny Football of North Texas. Okay. Uh, I just, for some reason, whenever you say something about another Texas team, I'm like, oh, he's just, he's hate, he's he's hating because uh, he ain't him. Oh, but anyway, uh, we will see. I'm gonna edit all no, this. I was encouraged to see them. You know, their in-state comp, their in-division competition is Southern Miss, which is a program that rebounded. Pretty decently last year under Jay Hobson. They went 6-5. and five. Their quarterback comes back. And in the other division, I always forget that Marshall is in CUSA. For some reason, I want to put them in the American. Marshall would be the other one that's the big challenger. But Marshall, to me, you know, their quarterback's back. They return a bunch of guys on offense and defense. Doc Holliday's done a really good job in his nine years at Marshall. They went 9-4 and four last year. They, get a, they have a fun G5 matchup at Boise State, September 6th, which will be a lot of fun. They play Cincinnati on the 28th, and they play your Ohio Bobcats on September 14th. Yeah, I'm not looking so forward if, to that one. Uh. If, if Marshall can come out of the first month of the season 4-0, and I think they've got a really good shot to, I mean, especially win their division and then have a really fun matchup at the end of the year with probably North Texas. Well, we will we will see. I do think that that's the ideal matchup that we're looking for uh, out of the Kusa. Next up, we've got the Sun Belt. So I'm going to defer my pick because I honestly couldn't find much about the Raging Cajuns other than the fact that I really like their nickname. And uh, I do think they will uh, at least make a bowl game this year, but it's kind of hard to project at the moment. Uh Bill Connolly hadn't gotten to them yet. Sorry, I just couldn't find as much information as I could about other teams. Sorry, sorry, Louisiana. Or what? What are they? That's what they want to be called now, Louisiana, right? What were they before? Yeah, I think so. There's, there's a bit of a fight about what the name of their uh, their team should be <laughs> or their school. It's Louisiana Lafayette beforehand. Yeah, I believe like that's the like the official. I think is Louisiana Lafayette, but I think there's some debate. Why can't teams debate. just stick to one name? Gosh. Well, because uh, so because there's not like an official University of Louisiana, you know, someone wants to be kind of quote unquote the flagship name because you know LSU is obviously the flagship university in that state. I will say, I mean, I haven't seen a Tiger in Louisiana. Actually, I have at, at their games. But 
I have seen plenty of Rage and Cajuns, so I do think that that's a, if we're going by mascots, that's pretty representative. I don't know, man. I've seen a lot of green waves down in New Orleans. All right, Andrew, you're already talking. So who you who you got in the Sun Belt? Um, I want to talk about Loki, my second favorite, and possibly my favorite team this year because Georgia Tech's going to suck. As well as the Sun Belt has got a lot of teams that I really love because they're awesome, like App State and the Coastal Carolina Chickens. But the team that I want to talk about is the Georgia Southern Eagles. And Chad Lunsford last year did a great job. He won 10 games after losing 10 games the year before. He was brought in as an interim coach last year when Tyson Summers bought him out, won his last two games, and really kind of came into his own last year at Georgia Southern. And, you know, to me, when you think option football, you think Georgia Southern. You know, Irk Russell won national titles with a young offensive coordinator named Paul Johnson running the option. And then Paul Johnson got the head coaching job in the late 90s, won two national titles. Georgia Southern's got six national titles total. Uh, you know, Jeff Munkin got him to the Final Four running the option. Like, option football in Georgia Southern are like peas and carrots. You know, they, they go together perfectly. And one of the best things that Lunsford did is he brought back Bob DeBess as the offensive coordinator, DeBess being Willie Fritz's offensive coordinator when he had the success they have. Their quarterback, Shy Wirtz, is back, who a lot better with his feet than he is with his arm. But he did get better as the year went on throwing the ball. Their bigger question is they've got a lot of running backs they've got to replace. Wesley Kennedy the third comes back, but most of their, their strong running backs – from last year are gone, so it'll be kind of interesting to see if it's a back-by-committee, which is something they've shown a lot, given that they show a two-back set very often, or if there's a guy that really kind of steps in and takes the role. You know, they, they've got a lot of deep threat wide receivers. There's some questions defensively to kind of see what happens there. You know, they've got a rough schedule because they have to open at LSU. So, you know, God bless you, Georgia Southern. But to me, I think they're a team that's got the talent, and, and they're really good at recruiting kind of that second- and third-level talent in the state of Georgia. The state of Georgia has a ton of high school football talent, and any any kid that doesn't go to the SEC or some of the ACC schools, the, the higher-end state schools, Southern's done a really good job at recruiting at that level. They've signed some of the higher classes in the Sun Belt, and I think they've got a chance to really keep kind of building – on that momentum this year, and, and I think have a really strong chance to compete in the Sun Belt. They've got a great game October 31st at Appalachian State that's going to be a huge game. They go to Arkansas State on the 23rd of November that's going to be another big game, and then the November 9th game at Troy. Those three, I think, are really going to be the defining games of the schedule, whether this is a good Georgia Southern team or it's a Georgia Southern team that's going to compete and win the Sun Belt. All right. Wow, that's uh, quite a sell on Georgia Southern. Dude, I, I, I have loved Georgia Southern. My mother went to Georgia Southern. I remember watching Georgia Southern in the, the late 90s, early 2000s with Adrian Peterson, J.R. Revere, Paul Johnson as the head coach, just running the option beautifully. There's a great play. If you ever want to see a dude just truck the crap out of people, watch the run against Western Kentucky. 
Adrian Peterson takes the ball and runs through like 13 guys. It's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, yeah, in case you couldn't tell, he's uh, definitely a Georgia Southern homer. Also, don't they have like a brewery uh, around based around their uh... – So there's, there's an old story near the Georgia Southern Stadium, Paulson Stadium. There's like a drainage creek known as Eagle Creek. And when Irk Russell got the job and restarted the program in the in the mid '80s, he made this whole thing about like the magic of the Eagle Creek water, and he would like carry a jug to away games that was the the magic water of Eagle Creek, and and just this whole you know ethos around Eagle Creek and and all of that, and so that's kind of been. You know, there's a statue, uh, Beautiful Eagle Creek, I believe it's called. You know, there's a statue of Irk outside Pawson Stadium holding up a jug of, you know, Beautiful Eagle Creek water. And so there's a brewery in Statesboro called Eagle Creek Brewing that I keep meaning to go to, but I'm, I'm never in Statesboro, so. Gotcha. All right, well, Artem, who do you got coming out of the Sun Belt? Who's your, who's your pit team to talk about? I got the other side of the... I-35 rivalry, Texas State hired a new head coach this uh, offseason after firing uh, Withers, who was their first African-American coach, said the attendance record for the, in their first game and then went 4-20 and in his two seasons before he got fired. So I would say Jake Spavitol, their new head coach, is a little bit of a step up. Um, although Withers wasn't you know, a champion at the FCS level coming from James Madison, he didn't really have um, – any experience in the Division One level, so you got a guy coming who, um, who in Jake Spavital has been around the air raid system pretty much his entire coaching career. Um, he played quarterback at Tulsa, excuse me, Missouri State, uh, and then he went to Tulsa. Was at Houston with Kevin Sumlin. Uh, was at Oklahoma State, um, West Virginia as a quarterbacks coach. Uh, coach Johnny Manziel, twenty thirteen. Um, Continued coaching him for two more, three years he was there? Man, I thought he was only there for a year. Uh, then he went to California, uh, Cal, and then has been at uh, West Virginia the last couple of years uh, before he got fire, uh, hired as you know to his first head coaching position. Um, there's a lot of potential there. Um, I remember watching him when he was at the A&M offensive coordinator, and I would say he didn't really belong in the SEC. A lot of his concepts... Maybe it wasn't. It was just because he was starting out. Um, a lot of his concepts were very readable, and essentially, once we played Alabama um, every year in the middle of the season, people knew how to play Jake Spavital and stop his offense. Up until Alabama, he was amazing. Alabama came in, uh, their staff kind of read all his uh, what do you call them? Um, his tendencies, um, and after that, we got screwed. We couldn't put up enough enough points the rest of either of those seasons that he was the offense coordinator there for. Um, but I think Sunbelt is a good start for him as a head coach. He's a young guy. He's an electric guy. Um, he can learn quite a bit. It's not too much to handle. It's not, you know, a Boise State or a Colorado State or a Colorado. It's not one of the big power five. So it's a good starting gig for him. Um it is an interesting situation already with quarterbacks because he is a quarterbacks coach and an offensive coordinator. Um, so one of the things I was looking at was who did he get 
Um, the guy they had before that was Willie Jones. He was a true freshman, and he came in kind of flashing a lot of um, athleticism. He wasn't – you could tell he wasn't mature enough to make correct reads yet, but he was very athletic. So if uh, his first read wasn't there, he would break down and start just turning his feet. And if he saw somebody every once in a while, he'd throw it downfield. But most of the time, if Texas State got a first down last season, it was because – you know, Willie Jones was making it with his feet, kind of like a Cam Newton. Um, what's that guy that's playing at Baltimore now? Um, Jackson. Lamar. Lamar Jackson. Lamar. I almost said Samuel L. Jackson. Um, yeah. <laughs> He's kind of a Lamar Jackson type. Um, just from the way he runs, of how athletic he is, um, I wouldn't compare him more than that. Um, He's just, just the tendencies. He's definitely not as talented. So this kid transferred. Uh, as soon as they hired the new head coach because it's an air raid system and I guess he felt he wouldn't fit into that system or maybe that's the feedback he got because he waited till February to leave. Um, when Spavitol came in, he brought this guy named Gersh Jensen um, who threw for 2,500 yards, 20 touchdowns, uh, Juco, um, and he's coming in. He's the you know projected starter. The guy behind him is supposedly this Jalen Gibson guy who's been around the system for a long time, but I don't think he'll even get a chance. There's a true freshman coming in, um, two-star guy, and uh, he's supposed to be the backup. Um, I'm kind of interested in kind of watching the situation and seeing how it turns out just because uh, Jake Spavitol relies not, not just on um, receivers running the right routes, but it's a very quarterback-heavy system. You, your guy's going to be able to make all kinds of throws. He's going to make the right read. Um, even if, and then when a play breaks down, um, he's got to be able to, you know, rely on his feet potentially, although it's not a very dual threat system, which, which is why, uh, this Willie Jones guy is transferring. Um, I think he's, he's going to have to be just because it's Jake Spavitel's first year. You're going to need a guy who's creative, who's got the experience and he's able to improvise in the situations kind of like Johnny football was in Spavitel's uh, first OC, uh, OC gig. Well, with all that said, are we really expecting them to get more than, like, four wins out of the first season here with the new coach? It's a very interesting situation, actually. You're playing ULM in a year they're not really expected much of. Your rivalry with UTSA, which you've lost all three of, is not on the board. So, you know, that would be one of the things that fans look for. It's like, okay, Kind of like okay, and I'm going to relate to the A&M situation again. Jimbo came in, beat LSU. That was the expectation. Fans were happy no matter what the record was because the guy before him couldn't beat the rival any of the times. So if Spavita was coming into a situation where you're playing UTSA, I would say the fans' expectation was beat UTSA because the guy before him did not. But they're, they don't have anybody on the schedule that I don't think they can't beat. They start with A&M. That's going to be, uh, I mean, well, you just said, in that environment, you just said- but they're going to lose. You just said that there wasn't anyone on the schedule they can't beat. After that game. Okay. After that game, they're playing, you know, Wyoming, SMU, Georgia State, Nichols, ULM, Arkansas State, Alabama. Um, what, what's US, USA? What does it stand for? University? University of South Alabama. Alabama. Oh, South Alabama. That's what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it is Appalachian State. It's Troy. But a lot of these schools are up and down, just like um, – Texas State has been so honestly most of them are going to be coin flips and in the sense of we don't really know what to expect out of them and we don't know what to expect out of Texas State because of how explosive Spavitel's offenses have been in the past 
So it'll be interest, interesting to see how they develop and who's the starting quarterback about midseason, who he's comfortable with. Okay. Well, with all that said, I think I know what to expect out of the Sun Belt. I expect uh, App State to run away with it. Uh, they're they're going to flip shit if he makes a bowl game because they've only been to two bowl games and they've won both of them. We'll see. I mean, I would be pretty excited if they did, but I'm not expecting that out of his first year. Um, uh, we'll see. They they certainly have the talent. That's uh, that's clear. But any time a first year court coach steps in, it's kind of hard to have high expectations for him. I will say it's different, though. Like we talked about before, with the transfer market, with everybody just being granted waivers and not having to sit out a year, it's you know, it's a different situation. He brought in a bunch of dudes with him. Andrew, you were about to say something? I was going to say, I mean, uh, App's got to be the favorite. I mean, your big question is what does Eli Drinkwitz do as his first season? As well as, you know, our old buddy Ted Roof being the defensive coordinator up in Boone. Yeah, it's, they've got a ton of talent coming back. They were a pretty, pretty daggum good team last year where they won the conference, so they've got to be the favorite to repeat. Wasn't it also, I forget what the exact call was, but wasn't it like the first time anyone in the Sun Belt had been ranked in the top 20 or something like that? I think so, yeah. I yeah. mean, they went they went 11-2 and two with a lost state and a lost Georgia Southern. So, yeah, I mean, uh, barring any unusual circumstances, I'm – Fully expecting App State to run away with it. Yeah, well, it's, it's kind of crazy because to me, the top in the Sun Belt, App State and Troy both have new head coaches. So it's going to be really kind of fascinating to see what what happens. That both Drinkwitz at App and then Chip Lindsay at Troy. It's going to be a really fascinating one, too. Well, and they will face off against each other, so that'll be interesting to see. Artem, do oh, you. It's November 30th. I'm stoked for that. That'll be a good game. Yeah. Artem, do you have a favorite uh, between those two? Or do you have some other favorite coming out of the Sun Belt? No, I think it's going to be a crapshoot. Okay, fair enough. All right, next up on the list. Uh, Maction is magic. So since I didn't really get in on ULL, or UL I guess now, uh, I do want to talk about my Ohio Bobcats for a second. Uh, So they are returning Nathan Wark at quarterback. And he did amazing for amazing things for them. Uh, I fully expect I fully expect them to return as far as the offense goes um, and be back to full full efficiency. The question becomes defense, and uh, I do think their defense showed two sides to each other last year. After the first six games, suddenly they turned it on. Uh, let me see if I can find the exact wording. During the during the first seven games, they gave up 6.7 yards per play, 31 points per game, and a 156.2 opposing passer rating. And then the last six games, they gave up 5.2 yards per play, 17.2 points per game, and a 110.7 passer rating to opponents. So obviously a big shift there, and a lot of that had to do with the defense being very young. I expect the defense to turn things around this year. And Nathan Rourke, as uh, Andrew pointed out before the cast, is finally a senior after playing for an eternity at Ohio. Um, I I think this is their year. Uh, they do have a couple of tough out-of-conference games, maybe not from other people's perspectives, but they play at Pittsburgh and at Marshall. Um, and then... Uh, I think the rest of their games are either winnable or at least 50-50. They get Northern Illinois at home. They get Western Michigan at home. 
Their toughest game after that is probably the last game of the year, which is at Buffalo. I could see this team having an argument for winning the MAC all the way, um, possibly getting a ten and two year. We'll see what happens. Uh, I I'm really high on Ohio this year. They're definitely a team to keep your eye on, um, and I think that they will have a lot of magic and fun going on uh, for their games this year. All right. With that said, uh, Andrew, you you actually have a team in the MAC, right? Andrew? I was going to make a joke. Sorry. I was going to make a joke about how Illinois was really bad for like the third consecutive year in the Big Ten and got relegated to the MAC because I think that relegation and promotion in college football would be absolutely hilarious. Not feasible, but hilarious. But then I remember that Georgia Tech is going to suck this year, and I really don't want to get relegated to the Sun Belt. So the, the MAC actual... Mac team that I want to talk about is the Toledo Rockets. They they're the projected team to win the conference. Jason Candle's been twenty eight and thirteen in his three years there. He's done a really good job. Their quarterback comes back, uh, Greg Dogney. Uh, he had an injury shortened season last year, but threw for a thousand yards, and thirteen touchdowns. Uh, they're really going to drive by their running backs, Bryant Kobach and Shakif Seymour. Are kind of going to be the two-headed monster that helped carry the ball for them. The defense is it, it lost a couple starters mainly on the defensive line, so be interested to see how they're able to build pressure and you know be successful in terms of that. But again, I, I think Candle's done a fantastic job building that program. Now they've got a tough schedule. They open at Kentucky, which will be a really hard game. They go to Colorado State and they get BYU, which are all really solid programs. So I think I think they've. It, I mean, if they shock the world and knock off Kentucky week week one, then they're really going to set themselves up for a great season. But even if that doesn't happen, I, I think they've got to be the favorite in the MAC, and again to kind of set themselves up for a strong bowl game. But Andrew, as well as as well as Jason having a shot at whichever Big Ten job comes open next year. All all the SEC fanatics are going. How dare you say that our Kentucky will lose to Toledo? That's so ridiculous. <laughs> Do, do SEC fans even claim Kentucky outside of basketball We don't talk season? about Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, like, like outside of basketball season, does Kentucky even count? It's going to be very interesting what they look like this season after losing everybody who meant anything to them last That'd season. be bad. Anyway, finish your thought. <laughs> I was going to say, Kentucky going to be bad. <laughs> but no, I think Toledo, again, they have to be the favorite in the MAC just because of the talent that comes back. The great job Jason Candle's done there. And, again, I mean, they they were ninth in the country in scoring offense with 40 points a game. So, you know, they're going to win, and, and they're going to score a lot of points. <laughs> I like your optimism. I, I think I'm taking away from this that anybody could win the MAC. But, uh, Artem, who's the team you're talking about in the MAC, and are they also a favorite to win? Ooh, I doubt that. Although they were first in the West and they went six and two in conference last season, Northern Illinois Huskies are going to probably take a, a little bit of a step back this season. Um, they have a new head coach who has never been a head coach at the college level before or any level actually. His name is Thomas Hammock. He was at Wisconsin, Northern Illinois before was Minnesota running backs coach. Um, 
offensive coordinator for a little bit for a year, but most of his gifts have been as a running backs coach. And the last four years he spent in the NFL coaching the Baltimore Ravens. And their running back by committee approach has been great. They've, you know, although some of us fantasy enthusiasts uh, haven't been uh, producing massive results for one person as a as a group of running backs, they've been overly productive. So out of the Baltimore Ravens job, he got hired as a head coach for Northern Illinois when uh, their coach left for Temple, which is good and bad. Uh, it's bad because Northern Illinois had a quarterback problem before, and they're going to keep having that quarterback problem depending on how uh, Childers does this year. Uh, it's, I mean, it's his junior year. He should be a little bit better. He has a lot more experience, but there is going to be – their, their bread and butter has been the running game. There was a game either a year or two ago I watched. Uh, they came back from a 35, 30-something point deficit to, to win the game, and all they did was run the ball. Um, essentially kind of a, the Alabama style of run the ball between the tackles, have your running back just punch through people. And, well, the good thing is that's already their strength, and they hired a coach who's going to speak to those strengths because his tenure has been as a running backs coach. And you got a bunch of experience coming back. Bad thing is, your quarterback, who wasn't that good last season, will can hopefully develop on his own, and whoever you hired as your quarterback's coach will help develop that. But usually, a, you know, somebody who has more offensive coordinator experience may have a better idea of how to solve that problem. I will say I think they're still one of the favorites in the West, um, but the season will kind of tell. Uh, one of the other concerns that I have is somebody who hasn't been really more than a running backs coach at the college level and kind of left the NFL for a while. Sure, you have a lot of the development experience. You have a lot of experience with running backs and talking to players, but, you know, the college level, it's a lot about how you recruit. So it'll be interesting to see who this guy can go get. Um, We've seen with Illinois that somebody with NFL experience can have a lot of sway and say, I know what it takes to build somebody into an NFL player and I know how to, how to get people there. I have connections to come play for me. It'll just be, we'll see how charismatic this guy is and see if he can match some of these recruiting classes that I use kind of put together, which have been near the top of the conference usually. And uh, hopefully, you know, after his first year, go above that. Like I said, we see how Illinois is doing. Um, even though they're uh, they've been kind of garbage the last couple of seasons, um, they're progressively doing a little bit better, and you can tell their talent is going up. So, uh, you know, although Andrew wanted to relegate them, I'm interested in seeing what Illinois does this season with all their Texas players they've been stealing from our state, and uh, it'll be interesting to see what Thomas Hammock does with NIU and his NFL experience. Gotcha. So if you're not picking NIU, then who are you picking as a favorite out of uh, the MAC? Artem. Does I have the quarterback coming back? Who was their QB last year? Yeah. Ohio? Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably pick Ohio. I really like that kid. He seemed pretty clutch, and he was just a stat machine, so... I'd probably pick Ohio. Yes. One more on the Ohio train. Andrew, I guess, are you taking Toledo officially, or who do you got? Honestly, this this whole conference is not – I'm not going to say that they're very talented teams, but a lot of close teams that could challenge for the title, definitely. Uh, oh, I agree. It's, it's a really fun league to watch 
because there is so much parody and you know you you never know what you're gonna get week in week out I think Toledo's biggest competition on their side is going to be Western Michigan. They return a ton of players from last year, and they're going into Tim Lester's third season. So it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do with that program. And then I think Ohio, like you said, is going to be the biggest kind of competition from the other side. But but I just I, I got faith in the Rockets. You know, I think it's the year that they kind of blow up a little bit and, and are able to win the conference. Eh, we'll see. I, I'm really excited. There, there's a saying about this for non-college football fans: the matching is magic, and I think it is that parody that really makes it a unique experience. Also, the fact that I most know. and and we get Tuesday night football in like November. I was about to say also <laughs> the fact that it gets played on Tuesday that plays a factor. Um, alrighty, Andrew. So we've been building up to this all cast. You're about to talk about Army, and I'm expecting this to go on for about 30 minutes. So uh, I'm just going to give you the floor and uh, go to the fridge for a bit. So uh, yeah. I, I could do my whole own Army podcast where it's just me talking about how awesome Army is and how fantastic of a coach Jeff Munkin is and how much I love the option. And I could probably talk for like a good two hours on that. But, yeah, Army was fantastic last year. They won their second consecutive Commander-in-Chief trophy, which is a huge accomplishment given how bad they were a couple of years ago. Calvin Hopkins Jr. really stepped into the shoes vacated by Ahmad Bradshaw and was able to keep that offense you know, really coming, really moving along. Their best game was probably the overtime loss to Oklahoma that everyone watched on a periscope because it was pay-per-view and some American hero periscoped his pay-per-view so the world could watch it. That and an early loss to Duke where they turned the ball over a lot was their only two losses last year. Now, I do think they are going to struggle a little bit defensively. This year they lost a ton and only have four guys coming back, so that's really where their big question is going to be. As well as they open at Michigan Week 2, so that's really going to be a tough game for them, and they're on the road at Air Force. But the other really cool thing that I like about Army, other than the offense being just sexy, sexy as hell, is they are a, a customer of a company called Championship Analytics. And what that company does is they provide weekly customized statistical breakdowns for each team based on their opponent. And what they do is they kind of give you statistics recommendations on when do you punt, when do you go for it on fourth down, when do you go for two? You know, when when do you kind of make those decisions? And it helps to take that decision-making out of the gut of the coach and kind of give him some numbers to do it. And Jeff Munkin, when interviewed, said, well, it made too much sense to me to argue with. <laughs> and it's, it's great to see a guy so willing and open to adapt to analytics and to utilize analytics in his uh, – you know, I mean, this is your real-time – you know, decision making within the game, and it's is awesome. this like a laptop or a paper? No, it's, it? so it's reports. So it's basically, I'm sure what he does is he's got a guy up in the box that has all of these reports that they've put together through Championship Analytics that kind of tell him, hey, you know, you're playing Western Kentucky this week, so you know if it's fourth and whatever from this yard line, you know, if you go for it, here's your percentages that you know you're, you have to win here's going to help your percentages to do this 
and it's it's all it's a lot of that. I think that's what it is. I've never interacted with championship analytics. I really kind of want to just to figure out how they work. <laughs> well, I feel, it, yeah, it, I feel like they're feeding them information about like from the kind of like from what you see looking at it from the top down. He can be like, yeah. they're lined up in this direction. They're this team. If you go for it, here's your stats on converting third and fourth down. You know, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, it's it's a lot of reports because the college game actually has restrictions on electronics accesses for coaches both on the sideline and in the box they don't allow it at all so that's actually something that's been discussed has changed at the the fbs level but it, it hasn't happened yet but yeah it's it's just cool to see a guy a to see a great guy like coach munkin you know rebuild this program and to see him really buy into the analytics revolution that you're hoping to see in in college football and I'm still just dumbfounded that no one else has tried to hire this man. Yeah, he's he's blown me away with all the steps he's taken forward and how he's really turned that program around. Um, yeah, it's it's been unbelievable. Uh, but then again, I would say the same about uh, Coach Kenny on the other side of the Army Navy rivalry. So, yeah, Kenny Kenny had a rough year last year. They've they've got a lot of rebuilding to do in Annapolis. Yeah. Another podcast. Anyway, um, <laughs> Artem, I believe you're talking about UMass. That is correct. I took look up quite a bit. Um, didn't know much about them. That's why I kind of picked them. Um, they also have a first year head coach, Walt Bell. Um, I'll let Andrew talk about a little bit him in a, about him in a little bit. But uh, from what I can tell, he's a pretty charismatic dude. They're really excited about him. Uh, he was at Memphis, Oklahoma State, Southern Miss, uh, North Carolina with uh, Fedora. Actually followed Fedora, I think, from Southern Miss to North Carolina. Most of his accolades come from Arkansas State. He did really well there, and it was one of those where they were garbage, like ranked 100-plus before he came in, and then they were a uh, top 50 school while he was there. And it's the year that as soon as he left, they were uh, – they went back to where they were. So you could tell it's kind of he had the right weapons, he had the right system, he did really well there. Um, after that, he went on to Maryland, which, um, if you guys remember, that was the year they had like four quarterbacks get hurt. So they had a linebacker playing quarterback, and they still put up points. That was kind of his claim to fame or what people are talking about when they're talking about him. Um, and apparently the guy that was looking at him at UMass was really excited because he's known about him since Arkansas State, had a relationship with him since Arkansas State. Uh, last year he was at Florida State and that was garbage and they're saying well you know that was because they had a bad offensive line there's not much he could do and you could still tell towards the end of the season they started figuring some stuff out um, so it's it's kind of a, a crapshoot honestly for him again um, not a really tough schedule uh, you got Louisiana Tech UConn you're playing um, um, in the front end of your schedule but towards the end there it looks kind of rough you got army northwestern and byu um those are gonna be three rough games i'm guessing if you make a bowl game before those games you kind of go into those thinking you know guys just don't get hurt um but you never know he's a charismatic dude he might excite these guys and actually win one of those games if you know they have enough people hurt and um, it's important to know that umass actually has a below 500 level uh, record historically they're 570 and 586. 
Um, but they have been playing football since 1879. You know, their bowl record's not too bad. Two bowl games, uh, one and one, and they do have an FCS national title like most schools who have recently moved up um, from the FCS to a FBS level. Um, key thing for UMass is uh, last year they had a guy named, uh, I'm trying to find Andy Isabella, who actually got drafted. Um, I think he went to the Patriots. But he was a really good wide receiver, um, and they didn't really use him as well as they could have. It's kind of the, the general picture. Um, this year, they don't have a lot of those, and a lot of that experience, and a lot of that playmaking ability, and they're kind of looking for their quarterback. They have some seniors coming back, and uh, a couple transfers that they're looking at. Um, it'll be interesting who uh, Wall picks as his, uh, as his guys. Uh, as a as a team as a whole, um, you know, not really much ex- to be excited about. Um, even the coach himself kind of said a lot of things like, well, you know, our guys are, we're, we're happy with how they're picking up the system. We're happy with how they're playing the level of effort. And those are the kind of things you say when you don't want to say anything negative, but you're, you know, you're talking in front of people. You don't want to keep everybody else down. Like you're a little bit concerned. You haven't seen what you'd like to see yet. Um, so we'll see what kind of a team UMass can, can actually be by the end of the year. If they can do well in the first part of the season, uh, they can 100% make it to a bowl game. Uh, but that, like I said, the last three games are going to be real tough. And it's his first head coaching gig, although he's had quite a bit of experience as an offensive coordinator, uh, unlike uh, Thomas Hammock. So we'll see how he does. It's going to be an exciting season for him. I'm I'm pretty pumped up about it. We'll see what happens. I... I... I'm honestly, it's hard for me to have a whole lot of expectations for teams like uh, UMass coming out as an independent. I mean, Liberty is one of the few ones that's kind of shown me that those expectation that those teams can really blow pe- uh, your expectations out of the water. But uh, I'm I'm curious to see UMass has been slowly moving forward as time goes on, and like you said, the Minutemen are a feeder system for the Patriots. Go figure. Uh, all right, so I get the fun one, I guess. Uh, I, guys, I'll let y'all chime in whenever you want about the Notre Dame Fighting Irish, because really, I'm just gonna keep it simple. I mean, I think everyone knows what Notre Dame's expectations are. Uh, Notre Dame's expectations are for the uh, season, which is. Always get to the playoffs. And I simply put, I don't think they're going to make it there this year. Uh, they've got... I think their best talent lies on their defense. And that's really what we saw in the past few... and their past games where they won a lot on turnovers and keeping the other team down as far as rushing. As long as, long as they are able to keep this other team... At 28 points or below, they tended to win the matchups. But uh, they really did struggle against certain teams. Um, And offensively, it was always kind of a question mark as to whether or not they would get off the ground or not. I'm looking at this schedule, and uh, especially the games where they go at Michigan and at Georgia, I'm not a huge fan of, uh, for obvious reasons. I would love it if they beat Georgia. But I have a hard time putting my expectations on them to do so. I think uh, you're looking probably at a 9-3 and three season at best, uh, which is not to say that you're a bad team, but 
Um, again, as we talked about previous in the previous week, it's a battle of expectations versus reality. And the expectation for Notre Dame is always uh, about the bar is about as high as you can set it. And uh, I don't think they're going to reach it this year. So this will be a tough one for Notre Dame. Uh, but I think they will win their rivalry games, except for maybe Stanford. That might be a tough one going on the road. Uh, I guess, Artem and Andrew, if y'all got any thoughts that you want to share on Notre Dame, go for it. I mean, I really hope they beat Georgia because, you know, fuck everything about Georgia. I mean, but do you, I think really, Virginia, you really think they're going to beat Georgia? I, I mean, I like Ian Book. I think he's a great fit for what they're trying to do offensively, but I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think they've, they're in a kind of rebuilding level. They've got to find their defensive tackles. They lost a really good defense back in Julian Love. They get uh, the other three out of four defensive backs back, which is going to help. But, you know, to be fair, we really kind of watched them get picked on against last year in the playoff game. Which really did help, and and I, again, I think you said the the schedule really really picks up this year with the addition of Georgia. You know, they get their normal USC, their normal Stanford. They play Michigan for the second year in a row. You know, their ACC content is Louisville, who probably gonna be a dumpster fire. Virginia, who's pretty good. Virginia Tech, who we don't know anything about. They play at Duke November the ninth. Yeah. Which again, we don't think Duke's gonna be very good. You never know what BC team you're going to get. So I think their ACC contingent's really manageable. But, yeah, I think I think the two you talked – the at George and the at Michigan are really going to be kind of their crucible games. If they can find a way to miraculously win those two, then obviously I think they got a shot at the playoff. But, uh, unfortunately, I just – especially with George, I think George is just going to be a too good of a program on the road for Notre Dame to really, really win that game. Yeah. And I guess for the independents, this is a tough one because we don't really have a championship system for them. So I guess uh, my pick would be who's going to make it to the playoff or who's going to win a champ or who's going to win a trophy. And uh, the only team I can think of who could win a trophy is Army because they're probably going to win the Commander in Chief's trophy. I don't see Notre Dame making it to a playoff, and <laughs> I think. Uh, Artem, unless you know something I don't, I don't see UMass or Liberty making it Dom, either. I'm tired of seeing Notre Dame in the playoff contention. Like, get to a real conference. This is fucking annoying to watch you get stomped by real teams. Um, but you guys mentioned the Michigan-Notre Dame game. That is week seven of college football. Just for you, for your knowledge, and for some of our listeners, that week is loaded we're talking Michigan State, Wisconsin, Alabama A&M, South Carolina, Georgia, LSU, Florida. That's only something. Florida State, Clemson, Texas OU. That is going to be a loaded week of college football. It's going to be exciting. I'm pumped up for it. I'm pumped up for all college football, to be honest. I'll take I'll take week one at Louisville for all for goodness sake. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty excited. And then uh, – I guess, Artem, do you agree that Army is probably going to run away with the Commander-in-Chief trophy? We'll see. I think Andrew made a really good point about their defense. And, you know, those schools are all about third and fourth year starters and making those runs during that time. 
Fair Anything enough. can happen. All righty. Well, with that in mind, that's going to wrap us up for today. Uh, thanks, as always, to our listeners for tuning in. You can check us out on online at... Uh, you can shoot us an email at tomemeetsleather at, at gmail.com, and you can shoot, shoot us a Twitter account at, at TML Podcast. Thanks, as always, and have a good rest of your night. Good night, everybody.